All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other. I can promise you that. You might laugh. You might cry. But you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love, and admire. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. I am very excited. Today's guest, um, one of the, I think, more like hopeful stories for so many people out there who just are kind of going through the motions. You know, they're going through from job to job, thing to thing. Um, and so I'm really excited to help to kind of share her story and her her journey. So today's guest is an Olympian who proves that it is never too late to pursue your dreams and do what you love. She left the corporate world at the age of 30 and chose bobsledding, right, of all sports. And I can't wait to be born in L.A. Like, I can't wait to get into that. And in a mere four years later, after she chooses to take on bobsledding, bobsledding, she makes her country proud, wins a silver medal at the 2018 Olympics. So please join me in welcoming former sales manager turned world-class athlete, TEDx speaker, inspiring people to follow their path and change, Ms. Lauren Gibbs. Lauren, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're, I'm looking forward to it. So, so as we talked about it a little bit, you know, we like to kind of go back in time um, talk a little bit about, you know, obviously we, we know where you're at today and we're going to talk about some of the cool things that you're up to now, but, you know, born in LA and, you know, what was it like for you growing up in LA? You know, what were some of those kind of like early memories? I know that you went to the later, like the West Ridge school for girls, but I think that was, you know, maybe high school, but what was, what was early life like for you in, in LA? Food and traffic. <laughs> All right. Hey, yeah, one of those food, is great. Yeah, food and traffic. Uh, I played sports at a very early age. My mom loves to tell the story that I climbed out my climbed out of my crib at eight months old. So I requested to play soccer. I also did some ballet, and you know, very quickly it was clear that I wasn't a ballerina. I think I did like a forward roll line into like the entire class and took them all out. <laughs> you were so like was, a bowling ball. Like exactly. <laughs> I was always bigger. I was, you know, born muscular. So I've got like pictures of me at five with a full six pack and like some pretty nice delts. So, <laughs> so <laughs> soccer was definitely a better fit for me. And what, where did you grow up in LA? Um, I grew up just near Dodger Stadium, not far from downtown LA in, in Mount Washington. Um, yeah, so it, it was nice because, um, it's in LA proper, it's near all the freeways, it has some great food, but it's kind of up and away from, you know, everybody. So it's a little bit more secluded and quiet, which is nice. So you kind of get the mix of a big city, but also I don't want to see being out in nature because it's not quite nature, but you know, there's mountains, there's some and trees, things. yeah, there's, there's trees, like trees and mountains, and parks and and like hawks mountains. and things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what, what are some of like your early memories? Again, you talked about playing sports and, um, you know, what were your parents doing at this time? And, you know, what was it like growing up there? Yeah. So a lot of my childhood has been documented because my mom was working in TV news when I was born. So when I was born, they did a story on me called What Gibbs. And oh, so I got well to played. do like uh, take your daughter the first take your daughter to work day. I got to be a reporter and an anchor for the day. So I remember the big Northridge earthquake uh, because my mom was working in TV news. So we went into the news station right after the earthquake had happened. Um, you know, I remember 
not so fun things in in LA at the time, right? Rodney King, yeah, um, and all that, and the the fires and the riots and things and forest fires and were always a big thing for me because you know you had to clear your brush and so that's what I remember my childhood. And then you know driving, being driven around to different sporting camps. You know, I played soccer growing up um, until I was like sixteen. Then I started playing volleyball. So I went to like soccer camps at LMU and then I, you know, did like volleyball camps at Stanford and driving to Long Beach in high school for uh, volleyball. So you could imagine basically going from Pasadena to Long Beach at 3.30 in the afternoon was no easy feat. Oh, wow. So yeah, lots of traffic. <laughs> lots of shout out to your, your parents for making that happen. Right. <laughs> That's uh that, that is a, a hall and a labor of love, which obviously has paid off. And, yeah. and what were you like, you know, from a student? So high school was Westridge or uh, high school was Westridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what were you like as a student? You know, what was, what were some of like the memories you have? Obviously you're playing lots of sports at the time and end up getting into Brown, which is, you know, no, no small feat. Yeah. I mean, I was an athlete all my life. I played a lot of sports you know, I, I, my mom says she picked me up because I started Westridge at sixth grade. She picked me up from school one day. She's like, you were soaking wet and in a bathing suit that you didn't own. And she was like, well, someone asked me to hop into a, a swim meet. And she's like, how'd you do? I was like, I won. And I remember that swim meet because I was terrible. I'm a terrible swimmer. I just remember swimming really hard, pausing in the middle, coming up for air, and then like swimming really hard to the end. So clearly swimming was not in the cards for me. But, you know, I played softball. Um, I was not great at basketball, obviously soccer. I did track and field, was great at track and field. Long jump and triple jump were kind of my jam. And then, you know, I kind of found volleyball my sophomore year of high school because I realized I wasn't good enough at soccer to play sports in college. And so um, everything kind of centered around like getting into a great school because I was kind of ingrained into us millennials at a very early age. You have to go to a great school. You know, you have to get good grades. And I got decent grades in high school. I wasn't like a straight A student. I think I graduated with like a 3-3. So like, you know, I did I did the thing, but um, wasn't by any means a straight A student. I was terrible at standardized tests. Um, and I, I think I was actually a pretty lazy athlete. So <laughs> <laughs> where did, where did all the love for sports come from? Like, where did that? I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's what you what you enjoy or passionate about. But where do you feel like that? Um, drive to you know do so many different sports and try so many different things. You know when you're um, when you have a lot of energy. I was undiagnosed ADD. It wasn't diagnosed until I was 22. You know ADD presents itself can present itself differently in women and in girls. My brother was already diagnosed ADD at the time, so I just had a lot of energy and I I like the idea of being part of something. My dad tried to get me to play tennis. He bought me like a pink tennis racket and a ball. In hindsight, I probably should have played tennis. <laughs> it would have been more, um, would have been more profitable for sure. Uh, I don't know if I would have been good at it, but I think I just enjoyed being part of a team, having something to do. You know, who doesn't like to win stuff? You know, so the opportunity to compete was always fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, and when, what was it? So obviously, then you go to Brown. You're originally recruited to run track. Um, but obviously volleyball is, you know, kind of the passion, you know, obviously, I mean, Brown's a, you know, obviously it's a, you know, a great school. Like what was the selection process like for you? You know, like, how did you choose? Cause obviously you know, grew up in LA whole life. Brown is other side of the, the world. Um, you know, so what was it, what was that selection process like? And then, you know, how did you make the decision for yourself to, to focus on volleyball? 
Yeah. So the college process was so overwhelming. Um, and I can't imagine what it's like now because it was overwhelming then. Like you have to go to a good school. You have to go to a good school. And I think now we realize that, you know, going to a great school is important, but there's other ways to get an education and get, get ahead in life. I don't think that college has to be the yeah. end all be all for everybody. I think it's great for a number of reasons, but I also don't think you have to break the bank to go to college. And so for me, I had always wanted, my dream was to go to Stanford and I don't, I don't even know why, as long as I can remember, I wanted to go to Stanford and become a lawyer and I did neither of those things. And so I used to go to Stanford soccer camp every summer when soccer ended, it was Stanford volleyball camp. And, um, I remember talking to the coach, the assistant coach at Yale and he was like, yes, Stanford's beautiful. Cause like it was very clear it wasn't going to yeah. be good enough or tall enough to go to Stanford. He's like, Stanford's beautiful, but what about Yale? And I was like, man, Yale's an Ivy League. I can't get into an Ivy League. I always like, to me, Ivy Leaguers were like sure. four point plus GPAs, perfect SAT scores. And that just wasn't me. And I was okay with that. Um, I just wanted to get a good education to have a good experience. But I, you know, I looked at Yale. The head coach was super not nice to me. <laughs> um, she was <laughs> Great like, recruiting technique. Yeah, she was like, I went on an unofficial visit. And she's not there any longer. She was like, yeah, you're too short to play middle. And we have a, a ton of right sides, which is the push, position I play because I'm left-handed. She's like, but if you, um, if you get in, let me know. And I was like, I feel like I'm a better athlete than that. And so from that point on, I kind of just focused on schools that were looking at me because I wasn't going to beg a school, you know, to take me. I figured I had enough on my resume to get into a decent enough school where I could get a good education and have a yeah. good time. And so tra um, Brown is actually recruiting me for track. Um, I talked to the track coach and I didn't know in high school because we only had one season in high school. I didn't know that in college you had, <clears throat> excuse me, two seasons. Yeah. And I really wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, I really wanted a college experience. And so I didn't want my whole life to be about sport. And so I remember asking the track coach, well, can I play volleyball there? And he's like, yeah, but you need to talk to the volleyball coach. And so talked to the volleyball coach. Um, she invited me out for an official visit. I went, I loved it. I went to my first frat party. Um, <laughs> my host was amazing and just showed me everything that the campus had to offer. I went in February, which was smart because coming from LA, you know, you got to know cold. what it's going to be yeah. like, or I don't know February, but it was cold. It was cold at that time because February would have been too late, but it was definitely getting cold, maybe October. Um, and, you know, I just had a blast and she was like, you know, if you want to come to Brown, you can come to Brown. I just, she's like, I just need to know because I don't want to commit to somebody who is still looking around. And I was like, nope, I'm in. I'm done. I'm sold. And so the Ivies are really fun. You, they don't give you an acceptance letter. They give you an, a likely letter. So it's like this, it comes in a small envelope, which, you know, history tells you if you get a small envelope from a college, it's not a good sign. Right. Unless you're an athlete. So I got a likely letter and then was given a, admittance to Brown. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it sounds like Brown's a good time. And another thing I noticed about you that I, I don't know if this is different than a lot of your peers is you started working in college too. So that's like you started working and got into sales with Vector in college. Yeah. Sold Cutco Knives uh, right yeah. out of high school at 18 years old. How, how did you get that? Like, how did like, again, like you're going to Brown, I'm guessing scholarship, right? Like you've got no like, scholarship, no scholarship. All mm -hmm. right. So 
So what was the reason for getting, you know, for having that drive? Because I'm guessing a lot of your classmates going to Brown were not selling Cutco knives. Yeah, uh, I, I always, I just like the idea of being financially stable and like being able, I just wanted to be able to take care of myself. I didn't want to have to rely on anybody. I wanted to work earlier, but I think there's some laws on, you know, work permits and all that stuff. And uh, I, I applied for one other job. I applied for uh, a job at J. Crew. I said I wanted $20 an hour, which in 2002 <laughs> was like, a, they're like, hell. I'm just like no. laughing out loud. Right. <laughs> but I was like, you know, if I'm going to spend time doing it, it's got to make, yeah. make it worth it. If you're going to take taxes out, like I got to be able to pay. Right. I, I did the math. So obviously J. Crew didn't invite me back for another interview, which I guess was a blessing in disguise. And then I got a letter in the mail from Vector Marketing. It said, I think like $16 an hour, uh, guaranteed pay, um, plus commission or something like that, selling household items and things like that. And so I thought I was going to be working in like a sporting goods store. Like I thought it was like a staffing agency. But when I went in, you know, I got sold. It was like, you cut stuff, you read a, a paper and you get paid whether they buy anything or not. I was like, I might as well try it. Um, you know, the worst thing that happens is it, it doesn't go well. And I have a set of knives that I got at a discount or I can return them. They don't sell sample kits anymore. Um, which I think is unfortunate that, the, you know, the kids now working there, it's all virtual, which is cool, but it's right, also right. like, it was fun to, to chat with people and see different homes and stuff like that. So yeah, that's how it started with, with Vector and Cutco. And I remember my dad saying that I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, I'm 18, so you can't stop me and I'm going to pay for Why it myself. Why did he not want you to do it? What was he, what was his concern? I mean, you know, it's, it sounds, it does, it sounds too good to be true. So you're going to pay me to do appointments at people's homes and sell knives. Like if you'd never heard of it, you're like, that's not a thing. So Yeah. Yeah. So, so you graduate from Brown um, and, you know, success in athletics and you continue on at Vector. So, you, I mean, was it just for you? It's like, hey, you had had success because obviously you moved up, right? You went from, you know, you're running like a, a district and, uh, you know, by the time you, know, you graduate and running a, a division office too at first. So what was like that decision like? You know, obviously you graduate with a degree from Brown. Um, is it, you know, obviously that you did already put in so much work. Cause I mean, you were working a lot of hours. I mean, you're, again, you're playing sports full time and you're working, you know, as well too. Yeah. So the cool thing is, is I didn't work in the fall during volleyball and then I would work in the Rhode Island office in the spring. And so in the summer I made 20 grand a summer. So if you make 20 grand a summer in 2002 as an 18 to 22 year old, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So I thought, how much money could I make if I put my whole time and attention into it? And so that that was really it for me. And I really enjoyed the company. I loved the people that I was working with. You know, I really felt like it gave me a good opportunity to learn about business. You know, I had to rent my own office. I had to get office furniture, negotiate my lease, you know, sign up for all my utilities, hire a receptionist, do all the tax paperwork, like just stuff that you don't really learn in school. And so, and Vector had a program to teach us all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, I, I opened a, a savings account, you know, by the time I left, I think I had hundred K in a savings account. So it, it just taught me so many things. And I felt like there was still an opportunity to learn more and, and make money. So that's wild. I mean, that's such a great story. I think for people to hear too, it's just, um, you know, finding what works for you, aligning to what was important to you, which is again, being financially self-sufficient and, you know, having the will to make it. Cause Vector, I feel like is, is particularly one of those places where yeah, you've got to put in the work too. You know, it's not just, uh, just handed to you. And I've met yeah. a lot of really successful sellers and sales leaders. Eric, as you mentioned too, runs Hawk Media. Uh, Eric's a, a buddy. So, 
a lot of success there. But then eventually you leave. So, you know, you've been doing that for a while um, and you get into, uh, I guess it's Ingenium. So mm-hmm. you, you go into sales there for a little bit and then leave to ADT. So what was the reason for kind of that first move to just try something different and, um, you know, the, the later stages of your, your sales career? No, I think that first move was I was, my office was in Camarillo and it was great in the summer, right? In the summer, my office was full. I was doing a lot of work and then the fall comes and all the college students go back to school and recruiting just becomes differently, uh, different. And I just, I didn't enjoy some parts of the job and I'm not saying you need to enjoy all of it, but like some of it just wasn't, I didn't enjoy like the on-campus recruiting side of it. I just felt like I was standing at a booth to be laughed at by college kids, which I'm like, I'm not that much older than you guys. And (laughs) I think I'm just as cool. So it just wasn't, that wasn't a good fit. I think the location wasn't a good fit. You know, I didn't have really any friends or anything to do. And so it was just my work and I'd go home and I just, I was just lonely. And so uh, my friends at at the time lived in San Diego so I wanted to live in San Diego where it was better for a 22 year old to, you know, be able to f- make friends and hang out. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you make the move to San Diego. Um, and then again, you, you're in sales there for a little bit and then you move to ADT uh, and you're there for a while, right? So you're, you know, replicating your success you've had before at ADT and then something happens at age 30, right? So you yeah. have this like successful sales career, right? Like you're doing well. I mean, you graduated college with 100,000 savings. Over the course of this, you're, you're continuing to see success, get promoted. Um, talk about 2014. You know, talk about for you in particular, like what, what, what kind of hit for you, you yeah. know, uh, to, to make that, to make such a interesting life decision. Yeah, so I want to dial it back a bit because I think this is an important part of my story. Uh, you know, growing yeah. up, I was told I could do anything, be anything, be successful. You know, obviously, people saw something in me. I was driven, hardworking, competitive. Like, those are all the makers for a successful person. But, like, y- you never really understand what the nitty-gritty is of becoming successful. Like, how does that – How what do your daily activities look like? What is your mindset? Like, how do you navigate um, and overcome adversity? And so – First of all, Ingenium fired me. I was fired and I was like, someone fired Lauren Gibbs. And I just remember being so taken aback and like calling my mother being like, how dare they? Right. And so I bounced around from there to a a couple other like just really weird failed um, sales jobs. Like I sold some like online advertising for like a, a local online directory that didn't, like I did really well in my first month. And then like, after I went through like the people I knew, I wasn't really making any sales. Right. I sold some, like I did some inside sales for like a server warranty company, which could have probably been really profitable. I just didn't enjoy sitting at a desk all day. And then I went into ADT actually for a sales rep position and came out with a management position, but it meant I had to move. And so that first like 18 months was like drinking out of a fire hose. And I just remember like running my first sales meeting and the top rep being like, how old are you anyways? And I was like (laughs) 27 and he was like 40 something and had been there for like, I don't know, 20 years or something ridiculous like that. And so realizing what it took to lead a team, that was my lesson at ADT is like, I had to immerse myself in something I didn't know. Right. Cause Cutco was different. I had sold Cutco Right. And could speak to it. This was, I was being hired from the outside. And so I remember I spent like 7 to 11 p.m. at the office. And sometimes I was like, it'd just be easier if I, 
slept here, <laughs> but it was like a 30 minute commute. And so just learning the systems, learning the model sales call, learning like the process where the hitches were in the, in the installation and everything. And then, you know, going out in the field with my team and helping them close sales until they became like, then they realized I was there to help them. And that was great. And then I got on some really cool councils. That was a leadership position, got the opportunity, um, to move to Atlanta, that job actually got um, restructured out of the out of the organization, um, and then got moved to Denver. And so I wasn't supposed to be in Denver. I was supposed to be in Atlanta, um, but it was luckily that I was in Denver because I was just working at a at a CrossFit gym. And a friend of mine said, "Hey, I you know basically after a quick conversation said I think you should try out for the bobsled team." <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> but I did some research because in 2010, when I was unemployed, I promised myself to fully vet every opportunity that came to me. And so I found out that the tryout was at the Olympic Training Center. Um, I'd never been to an Olympic Training Center before. And I was like, I just want to, I want, I honestly I just want to see what an Olympic Training Center is yeah. like. And if they'll let me on campus and all I have to do is do some sprints and some jumps and some tosses, I'm, sign me up. And so that's kind of how trying out for bobsled happened. Like it was a complete wow. fluke and a total joke. Wow. So okay, so you're doing CrossFit, and someone there is like, "Hey, like I know were they on the were were they on the team already?" No, she was actually. Her name's Jillian Potter. She's a 2016 uh, rugby Olympian. So in 2014, she was working on the lead up to to Rio, and one of my now teammates had done a season of rugby and you know tried to recruit some of the rugby women. Uh, all of them were like, no, we're focusing on rugby. But, you know, she thought of me when when we met and thought, you know, you, you fit the kind of mold of what you're looking they're looking for for a bobsledder. So t- let's talk about that journey, right? Let's talk about that journey from 2014 to obviously 2018. So at this point, are you do you leave and, and you're doing this full time? At what point are you doing, you know, kind of training full time? Yeah, so I graduated from uh, Pepperdine with my executive MBA on, I think, August 1st. My tryout was like a week later. Then from August to October, I was doing different camps and testing. And then November, I was named to my to my first national team. And the season started in November, so I had to basically quit my job. At that point, I had moved from ADT and was working at a, a startup called TrueMaker um, as a regional sales director. And yeah, it was just full on from there. You know, I think people think that the Olympics is something that happens every two or every four years, depending on if you only watch summer or winter, or if you watch right. both. But it's really an everyday thing, everyday occurrence. You know, I train basically six days a week in some capacity. Sundays are my only true days off. Um, and then because uh, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee are not government funding, a lot of U.S. Olympians and Paralympians actually live below the poverty line. So you're also trying to find a way to support yourself. And so luckily for me, I have a sales background. And I have an MBA, so I was really good at, you know, trying to land sponsorships and support. I, I raised $10,000 that first season on GoFundMe. Um, TrueMaker allowed me to work part-time. And uh, I remember my coach says, I know you're different because this is your first season. You haven't really done anything and you already have a beef jerky uh, sponsor. So it was just product only, but uh, <laughs> beef jerky is great. Shout out to Chef's Cut. There you go. Yeah, you'd already worked that in. And yeah. I mean, and you, but you have success early on, like you said, like there's I mean, there's so many different meets and things that happen, you know, 2014, 2015, um, you know, gold in Park City, uh, bronze Lake Placid, 
you know, fourth at uh, St. Moritz or I think eighth maybe at St. Moritz. Like, so you're having success early on. I mean, is that, did that help to fuel a lot of this? Like 2015, obviously, you know, you're kind of going through it, preparing. Did that help a lot? And, and like, what was that? Like, I, I always, especially like as the break, break person, like, what is that? Like, like, what don't people know about bobsledding, right? Because it, it looks, you know, I know that there's so much more to it. So like, like what were some of those big learning curves? Because you were having success kind of early. Like, what were some of the big learning curves for you around like, holy crap, this is not what I thought it was? Yeah, I think some of the things that people don't know, we go anywhere from 70 to 90 miles an hour. It is not a comfortable ride. It's not like a water slider or roller coaster. It's kind of like really bad turbulence is what it feels like. Some people yeah. say it's like being kicked off a cliff in a trash can, but it's hard to imagine what that's like. <laughs> uh, as a brake person, my head's down the entire time. So I push, hop in, and then I just basically sit with my knees partially bent and my head between my knees. And then the pilot does steer the sled. Like, they actually drive it. And then I pull the brakes at the very end. So there's no braking. Like, it's not like a car where you're, like, braking and, and accelerating um, in the corners. And we... I don't know if I said this, but we go through five G's of force, up to five G's of force through any any one corner. That's well. Have you ever tried the pilot position? I have. Yeah. It was it was fun. I would like I would do it again um, because it was like at the end of a season, so I was pretty pretty smoked at the end of the season. But I crashed a lot. Uh, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a yeah, lot of but... work, and it's hard to get really good at it. Oh, I can imagine like the sensitivity yeah. and how yeah. it changes like from day to day or yeah. track to track. And so, all right. So then you go to the Olympics. Um, what was that experience like, you know, for, you know, for you and for the team? Yeah, there's a lot of emotions. I think that it, I had a lot of fun meeting other fellow Olympians. You get a ton of really cool gear. Um, you know, you get to represent your country. There's so much excitement. Uh, Korea did such a good job of of hosting it and making it fun. The village is fun. It was freezing. It was one of the coldest Olympics since I think like the 80s. For that first week, it was pretty pretty cold. And then competition is very special, but also just like any competition, right? You you prepare for this and you've been on this track. You're competing against all the same people. It's just now the whole world is watching. But for me, I just really felt like I want to do my best. I want to have fun. You know, I made myself a promise if at, if at, I get to go to my first Olympics after finding a sport three years prior, three and a half years prior, it doesn't matter the result. I'm going to enjoy when? it. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And then how did I mean, and then to medal, right? Like, what was that? I mean, what was that like for you and Alana? I think meddling was expected. Alana had two other Olympic medals. So I think the hardest part really was just competing against my own teammates to get into that sled. Uh, the U.S. U.S. Women's Olympic bobsled team has medaled in every Olympics since 2002, which is when the sport was allowed for women in the Olympics. Um, so there's quite a legacy there. And so I think it wasn't like a if I'll medal, the expectation was to medal. So, you know, I was ex obviously excited, but there's just so many emotions because it goes from like work, 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 work to all of a sudden it feels like it's over in a blink of an eye. And you're like, so what now? Like it's just done. Like it's just, it's, just you know, it's, start training yeah. again. Yeah. And just, even the concept of doing that is tough. I think a lot of Olympians and Paralympians go through something called the Olympic blues because your whole life is just focused on one singular moment. And so when that moment is done, you know, there's a lot that goes through your head. Like, you know, four years is a long time to dedicate your something, yourself to something, to one thing. And the, the amount of work it takes to get into that shape to know that you have to either try and hold that shape or like get back there 
in four years is is a bit of a uh, messes with your with with your mind a little oh, bit. I can imagine. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, are you excited for the next one? Are you? Yeah. You know, it's it's a little bit different now. I'm 37. I have a torn hip labrum, so that's that's been tough to manage. Um, I'm working full time. I just bought a house, and so I'm I'm also just ready for that next phase of my life. If I get to go to a second Olympics, it'll be an honor. But if not, I mean, you know, something I tried out as a joke ended with two world championships medals, one of them being a gold. I think I have 14 World Cup medals, uh, an Olympic silver medal. I've gotten to travel the world. I'm on the AAC, the athlete group for the for the team. Uh, and I've met some of the most incredible people. You know, I met my best friend through this. She lives in Germany, so I get to see her when I go out there to compete. Um, and and I've been able to launch a speaking career. Uh, I work with an incredible company now that's looking to close the pay gap in professional sports sponsorship. That's called yeah. Let's Parity. talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, like, and again, what you've done throughout your life is just aligned to these passions, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got more to give. Like, I'm doing sales, and again, like you said, you had some ups and some downs, and um, you know, then you, you have this amazing journey and now, you know, you're taking again, like you sort of mentioned, you know, that again, that, you know, women's bobs was just allowed, right. in you know, early two thousands. And so let's talk a little bit about like what you're up to now. So obviously doing a lot of speaking around, you know, a variety of topics, parody. I want to definitely talk about parody and some of the work you're doing with whoop as well too. So what's, what's kind of on the docket now and, and what's next for you in this is, as you think about the next chapter. Yeah, so definitely doing some some just different fun projects. I, my feeling is is I I want to try and do as many things that are are offered up to me. So I just did my first voiceover project, which is cool. Um, so that'll come out in 2023. Uh, my brother's a voiceover artist professionally, so I got to ask okay. him for some tips. Um, I'm the one of the directors of external sales for Parity. Parity is an incredible organization, like I mentioned, that's looking to close the pay gap in professional sports sponsorship. The global sports market is about a $66 billion market, and women only capture 0.4% of that. And so what I do is I reach out to brands and uh, try and create partnerships to utilize some of our 670-plus pro-women athletes that we have on our platform for paid social media campaigns. Um, They're super impactful, authentic. We do intentional brand matching, so... We can tell really cool stories around practical uses of products and services. And then with Whoop, um, Whoop is an incredible device that I've been using since 2017. It measures your strain and your recovery. And so I actually think it's uh, something that is useful for people who are full-time athletes, weekend warriors, or just somebody that wants to feel better during the day. So it tells me how much sleep I got, how much of it was restorative, how much of it was deep sleep, REM sleep how long I was awake, disturbances, all that good stuff. And then it tells me how much sleep I should get based on the strain that I'm exerting. And what I'm doing with them is I'm, I'm part of a, a women's council because so much of the research that do, is done in sports is based on men. Right. And as we know, hormones, the way we approach stuff, muscle mass, recovery, amount of sleep, how we fuel is all different. And so it's really exciting to be part of a organization and a council that is specifically focusing on improving the lives of women. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited for the different projects that I get to be a part of. Yeah, it's great. And it sounds like, again, it's aligning the things that you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, and I think for anyone who's listening, I think that, the, you know, I've got a lot of just jotting down a few notes too, just kind of takeaways here about 
you know, your drive and, you know, the way that you've tackled different problems and just, you know, when things made sense, you pivoted and, you know, you went through some adversity in your like professional career, but you were able to kind of come out of it and continue to reinvent yourself. And it sounds like this next opportunity or what you're working on now, we'll put some links to both Parity and to Whoop as well too, uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, I know a lot of, of folks and different ambassadors for Whoop and they swear by it as well. And what you're doing with Parity, I think is, um, I think it's something that is very, very top of mind. I'm from Kansas City, so it was good to see Kansas City's uh, putting together the first women's professional soccer sports stadium. Um, so proud of Kansas City for you know representing, yeah. but still a long, a long, long ways to go. Soccer obviously has been at the forefront for some of that as well. Um, so, so what you know, as you think about you know what you want people to know, obviously talk maybe a little bit about the speaking as well too, Lauren, as we start to wrap up and, you know, what are some of the things that you're passionate about and what are some of the, the topics that you feel like, you know, really resonate whenever you're out there and, and talking to, to groups? Yeah. I mean, I love, obviously I love to tell my story. That's what my TEDx about. People love to hear, you know, the, the my life, I call it life lessons, um, in my Olympic journey or from the back of a bobsled. But I also, you know, I have a background in sales and leadership and management. I'd love to talk about change, man change management and leadership. Um, I love, I love to talk about organizational culture and creating a good, you know, culture and environment. I've done some team building, um, activities with some really cool organizations and just helping people communicate better. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm lucky to have experience in so many different, you know, industries and yeah. just teams and environments that I, I really like to pull from my own experiences and, and share it with others in hopes that we can create a dialogue that is beneficial for whoever I'm, I'm speaking with. And so some of it's motivational, some of it's practical, all of it's a lot of fun and uh, definitely some laughing, uh, some fun, interesting stories and you're you're always going to get the truth and the, my real opinion in things. So I love it. And we'll link we'll link to where people can learn more about that as well too. Yeah. Um, so Lauren, this is great. This is fun. Like again, like your story, I love it. I was I was curious. I hadn't I hadn't heard the CrossFit part of it before, and so um, I think it's just such a great lesson for everyone. Of you know, we have these plans. You know, where way things are supposed to go, but being open to where life takes us and being able to persevere and find new opportunities, I think is just such an amazing story. And what you're up to now is, is really, really amazing. So thank you so much, Lauren, uh, for joining us on the show. And we will see everyone next week. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting, so I hope you did too, of the Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are, the success the trials and errors, and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com. That's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests, additional details, prep notes. We're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com. So go ahead, go over there. You can subscribe there as well too. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show.